The following podcast is brought to you by cdkoffers.com. Use offer code broken silicon for 25% off Windows codes and die shrink for 3% off all other codes. Links in the description and I will say more later, but for now, let's get to the show. Welcome to Broken Silicon, a computer, hardware, and gaming podcast. I'm your host, Tom. I'm joined by the Pakyaka and Havad Yad. Dan, I do speak with a heavy, thick Boston accent now after living. Well, it's been almost two years, right? For two years, yeah. So, so you can't be like, oh, it's been six months or something. Yeah, and the, all of my coworkers as of this point are. My boss is from the Midwest and my coworkers are all from other countries. So I've had a lot of a lot of time to pick up a different a- the Boston accent. <laughs> well, you've been it's been an active fight for you, right, to not get the Boston accent. Like you told me you were waking up in cold sweats and uh, you know, just like saying beer, yeah, beer. Just, you know. Kind of like Tom Cruise in The Last Samurai screaming sake, except you were screaming beer. And in Boston accent. Yeah, and Harvard Yard. I, I, I wake up screaming Harvard Yard all the time. Dick Jeta. <laughs> <laughs> all right. I mean, uh, how are you doing, Dan? How are you doing in that Harvard Yard? Uh, eh, pretty good, I guess. Working on uh, trying to court, on moving, which I'll be moving in like two months. So that's fun. Which I'm supposedly going to be helping you move then, which will be... Interesting if I do have to travel that far uh, via airplane then, but I guess I guess we'll just see how that pans out. A lot, a lot of people will be relieved to hear that you're safe. There have been multiple people asking just randomly in the videos and, you, and uh, podcast comment sections, like, is Dan okay? Has he made it? Is your brother still alive? What happened to him? I am alive and well. I was tested for COVID after driving back, and I am negative, so that's good. Right. And our father was too. And it, and <laughs> I remember there's some text chain, you know, with our family members and my mom messages everyone in Minnesota. And she's just like, Jim came back negative for COVID. And it says he never had it yet. And everyone was like, congratulations. And she's like, that's not good news. <laughs> yeah, we were hoping we all, all already got it. This is horrible news that we haven't gotten it yet. Yeah, that would be awesome if uh, you guys were all already immune to it. But Again, we had all of the symptoms of it, so I'm still suspicious. But at the same time, it's like everyone seems to be convinced they've already gotten it at some point. So, well, which is funny because um, one of my best friends met someone who tested the only positive case in like a really small town, and the guy was like, "Yeah, I've had this like persistent dry cough for like the past month, but that's it. I just cough every once in a while." And she tested mm-hmm. him, and that that was the one case in that small town. <laughs> Okay, so, but that's the thing, though. You you think probably a third or whatever of people who are sure they've gotten it probably have. If you had to, if you asked me, maybe though. I mean, it's like we don't know. Yeah, who knows? And you never know false negatives and whatnot. But 
Well, yeah, so moving on, though, this is the anniversary episode. This is one year of Broken Silicon. We have some festivities planned for the end of the episode. I suspect it'll be one of the longer ones because of that. Um, Before we get into that, though, I do want to just get this out of the way simply because I feel like we have to. There was, you know, there were some people that uh, got mad that I didn't say much about the what should we say, police brutality protesting or rioting and all the stuff going on right now uh, that I didn't say enough or whatever. And the fact of the matter is, I felt like back then, and this is the last episode with the overclocking, you know, hardware numbers, Max was on. And I was like, well, this is a guy from Italy who's living in Spain right now. And we record ahead of time. Like, so when I was editing it together, I came up with like that fine, that statement to say quickly. And it's like, You know, it was both just getting started when we recorded ahead of time. And it's like, do I really want to bring this up with someone in another continent when we're just happy talking about overclocking? And and do I really want to put a big statement together? I really don't. You know, I I really don't, especially because any statements I was going to make, I wanted to save for talking with you. I mean, we're from Minnesota, right? Yeah. So is there anything you want to say? about it now because this is the episode yeah my opinion on the matter is i mean first off i don't think it's controversial to say that george floyd was obviously murdered like i don't i think that's probably one of the most clear-cut cases of this i've ever seen i mean and yeah the other thing i want to say is i'm really sad it almost grosses me out that i say this one oh yep here's another case of this happening and obviously I think some type of massive reform needs to be done with our policing system. I'm not one of the people calling for police forces to be disbanded, which (laughs) just before recording this, Minneapolis announced they're disbanding their police force. But I think mass reforms need to happen and they've needed to happen for a while. Yeah, I mean, I, I to be honest, uh, you know, and I, I brought this up in the other episode, uh, and, and we won't dwell on this, guys. Like, you can skip like a minute ahead or whatever. But I, 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 I snuck out during the protests Monday last week. Yeah, Monday last week, I believe Monday night, and got on camera. What can only be described as an armed militia. If honestly, if you ask me, they didn't look like they were just guarding their businesses. They seemed a little odder than that. They were in cars and like doing shifts and dressed a little weirdly. And I I don't know what to say. And I swear I heard explosions in the distance at one point. And it was constant, constant sirens. Yeah. I mean, when I went to Target this weekend for groceries, all the windows were smashed out and covered in wood. Yeah. I, I, you know. I don't know really what else to say except that I have to speak on this because it it's outside my doorstep and and it, it my my overall and and I in other words I'm kind of rambling but it's like uh, I put together a thing for flyover states that I'm considering doing uh, to be honest I feel like I probably won't cuz I just don't it's just not something I I enjoy talking about yeah and I, and and if it comes to my overall opinion all I can say is yeah I'm sick of tired of being sick of tired of seeing this. And and I am just, what really annoys me is that someone even has to ask me if Black Lives Matter. It's like, duh. Yeah. Yes, Black Lives Matter. I can't believe that's a question <laughs> that you would wonder if I think that. Like, it's insane. And I don't know. You know, Peoria's fine. 
That, I mean, we had to touch on it. I had to give my opinion because no matter what I do, if I say nothing, I'm going to outrage a bunch of people. If I if I say too much, I'm going to outrage a bunch of people. If I say a little bit like I am now, I'm going to outrage a bunch of people. It's clear some of you listening are never going to be happy. So, and maybe you shouldn't be because there's a lot of problems going on right yeah. right now. But just try not to take it out on me. And I guess the last thing I'll say is you have no clue what I'm doing in my spare time, what causes I'm helping or what I do. And I don't think you should need to know. Like, you don't need me to make every piece of content I do, some treatise on change. I don't need to do that. And, and, and you don't deserve to demand that from me. I mean, yeah, that's not really in the purview of this channel. I mean, obviously, no. it's a major... And decidedly not. It's a major event, and I feel like some, we do need to say something about it because, I don't know, it's like, Everyone I see on social media now is for a day was like posting black images constantly. And it's, if you posted something and didn't do that, people would like blame your comments section. So exactly. I'm <laughs> fucked either way, you know? Yeah. So uh, I guess there it is. You know, I've said what little I will. I, I if things get way worse outside my doorstep, which they honestly seem pretty much back to normal now. Um, then I, you can expect a pretty in-depth video, you know, like what you see on Moore's Law is Dead, but for flyover states. But I just, I'd rather go through Ampere leaks. I'd rather go through Intel leaks and, and talk about the next-gen consoles. And that's what I'm going to keep doing. And so I'm just going to say that we're going, I, I, we talked about it one more time, hopefully to make it clear that we do not just acknowledge what's going on, but do we do care. Like, this is a half of what we talk about on the phone when we're not recording this, you guys. But it's not something I want to dominate our channel. I want you to be able to come here and enjoy it. But I thought if I didn't mention it while I was talking to you, it would be, again, weird, considering we're both from Minnesota. Yeah. Well, then let's move on. This is supposed to be a happy <laughs> episode. So let's get into... Uh, I'll read our mail here. Fatboy Diesel writes in and he says, you guys should rent a Corvette and do 52 donuts in a random parking lot to commemorate the anniversary. <laughs> what do you think, Dan? Well, as Tom knows, I am allergic to fun things when it comes to cars. <laughs> Dan, do I tend to try to get fun cars when we're renting them? Yes. Cars that Dan says, fine. Or like there was one that was like a convertible and Dan's like, no, it's cold out. <laughs> I'm mean, like, we'll it, turn on the heat. It was cold out, Tom. I don't know why we needed a convertible. Was it December when I did that, or was it like January? Um, Christmas or Thanksgiving. I don't remember which. And they just have this circle where if you're... I actually have a leftover from working at another company that still gives me this employee discount and perks list. And it's like, you basically land from the airplane and walk out how this used to work. And there's just a, li a, a line of cars fueled up they and all of them cost the same to take. And sometimes, sometimes there will be a sports car for some reason in the flat pricing section. And there was at this time, some may argue because no one wanted to drive a sports car in winter, but I am not one of those people. And you and you did not like it anytime I put the top down or sped up. Yes, basically. So I, I guess to answer Fatboy Diesel's question, we will not be doing this. Prob no, we will not. Dan will not. <laughs> Maybe you. Not will. with me. Maybe I will. Um, but yeah, moving on. So this is 
I w- we will get to kind of some extra reader mails and reflections on one year of Broken Silicon. One thing I'll say is I see the launch of Broken Silicon as the true launch of the Moore's Laws Dead channel. You could argue, like, technically the YouTube channel was created in July of 2018. Mm-hmm. But I didn't have a video come out until, like, I don't know what it was, October, November, December of that year. And... Then I don't even know which ones of those are still public. Uh, I would you could maybe argue my ten years of being a PC gamer is when it started. I don't know. I think the channel was in a recognizable state to how it is now when we launched Broken Silicon, which is so funny because that is exactly fifty two episodes ago. Despite us not doing it every week when we started, and exactly this should come public in the free feeds on June tenth when that one went public. It's all a coincidence. So we had to do. We had to do some special stuff, I thought, and uh, I don't know. I We'll get to it. Uh, I guess what I'm saying is despite, you know, 52 episodes in 52 weeks, you're getting, uh, you patrons, are you not entertained, <laughs> is what I'm saying. All right. Let's move on to the corrections and omissions. So let me see. The first thing is I do want to highlight just that I did find some things that will help the audio issues that happened with the last episode you were on, Dan. Basically, there was a slight, some editing or rendering error that only showed up in the YouTube version. But then the YouTube, like the sound pass they put on it, way amplified the issue and made it sound way, way, way worse than it should. Mm -hmm. And then also practically muted the rest of the podcast. So I figured out at least, I think, how to not have it happen again. I have no clue what was really causing it. There's something I did with audio files where it hasn't happened again since, and I have a way of checking if it's going to happen. So that should make those weird chirps never pop up again. Hopefully. I can't promise for sure. Audio work is a nightmare. I mean, yeah, it sounds like YouTube has recently implemented some sound normalizing features, right, that don't work very well. The the good news is that when I went into their editor, maybe it's because my channel's bigger now, they actually let me remove the errors, and then it fixed the sound levels as well in that pass. So it allowed me to fix it within a day of it coming out. So at least for long-term viewers who may go back and listen to it, it's gone, which was important to me. So I think half of the people who listened to it didn't have any issues then at that point. And most people said they didn't have really any problems, but there were some phones, including my own, by the way, where it was like impossible to hear for some reason when it first came out. But so yeah, I fixed that. Let us move on to another correction and omission from Carbon Cry here. He says, and this is about OLED stuff. Says Samsung from the loose ends, I believe. Samsung was actually doing a QD OLED that is a big blue OLED panel with quantum dot color conversion filter. Should be good, but it's not full W OLED, which is what LG is using. I didn't know that. Says, but anyway, some recent rumors about Samsung skipping QD OLED because their blue OLED is not bright enough has also surfaced. And if that is true, Samsung has to survive on QLED until they have true LED. That is emissive quantum blue dots, which are OLED class, but perhaps cheaper to make. It sounds like Samsung's gamble to not put more money into OLED early is starting to bite them in the ass pretty hard. Yeah. Uh, Carbon Cry wrote war and peace on this subject, though. So, <laughs> Yeah, let me see. He also talks about how TLC is launching their own OLED production in China. So that will also help um, with a hybrid QLED OLED panels. 
uh, where the RNG red and green pixels are cheaper than the quantum dots and the blue is OLED because blue is a big issue on quantum dots as well. Well, that's interesting. And so again, what I think really the point of this, what he's getting to is that there were some little errors I made, but I just emphasize, you know, people making some version of OLED is going to bring much needed competition because LG is making the same panels that Sony's using and Sharp is using that they are. So yeah, I mean, that basically lets them price fix and have the best. It, it, there is competition, but, and I'm sure they're not ripping them off as bad as some people would think they would, yeah. but it's still, this is important. The only other thing Carbon Christ says is, why are there no OLED monitors when we have TVs and small screens? He says, so actually it's not because gamers will pay for shit TM panels, for the most part, in my opinion. It's small OLEDs use AM OLED technology, which can be produced more easily, but cannot make big enough panels. Right, which is something I heard about early, which is why the Vita got OLED way before anything else did. This was a small screen. It says for TVs, LG uses W OLED technology, which is more expensive to make. Uh, you have to print the panel in a fucking huge ass vacuum chamber, for Christ's sakes. Oh, I remember hearing about that actually. But W OLED pixels were too big for smaller res screens, and also cost meant it was bigger, better used for big TVs. Uh, so they're kind of. So I see monitors are basically stuck in the middle. Yeah. yeah. All right. Well, that's a good thing to point out, I guess. Um, Guitar Guy 515 writes in and he says, for Broken Silicon 50 to, re oh, from Broken Silicon 50, there were a few other key differences as to why it may be in demand. The Radeon 7 Pro. So that's the $1,800 version of the Radeon 7 with PCIe 4.0 support. And he says that, he says that as PCIe 4.0 support, unlike the Radeon 7, uh, along with an Infinity Fabric bridge option for running more than one single card together, pooling the VRAM for compute instead of copying it, making the RAM more redundant. I don't remember it is allowed for more than two cards to link, but might be a taste of CDNA with Vega cores. Uh, but it's basically a Radeon Pro Duo for the Mac Pro, but just for anything else other than Mac OS that doesn't have the custom high power slot and also wants to pay a cheaper price. Yeah, I didn't notice that actually. That I didn't think about that, that it has PCIe 4.0 and a few other features. So yeah, I mean, honestly, for 1800 bucks and the Radeon 7 Pro is probably a steal for some people. I mean... <laughs> Uh, it's not in the segment of the market that I'm interested in. So I'm sure there's a reason they would launch it at that price. And if it's selling, I'm sure there's a reason why people are buying it. <laughs> yeah. All right, Dan, let us finally get into the news. Story number one, NVIDIA GeForce RTX 3080 pictured. Now, this comes from video cards, and I quote, alleged pictures of the upcoming GeForce RTX 3080 graphics cards have been leaked on chip hell. The models photographed by a leaker are clearly prototypes or engineering samples likely to be one of the many suggested designs of the final choice. The design does appear to be NVIDIA's, though. The card features a two-fan design with a large heatsink, which might later be hidden under a shroud in a later state. And we can see that the 3080's backplate on one of the prototypes, but not on the other one. The blue color of the upper sample is not the color of the card. It's just a wrap of the silver metallic shroud around the card. The design is very unique. Both fans are placed on opposite sides of the card. It, right. So the way it's designed is there's basically, if you think of how a card's organized, they actually put the die not really in the middle, but very, very far to the left next to the PCIe slot. And then there is a card pulling, pushing air up directly over it. And then they have another fan 
on the other side, but instead of both fans being on the bottom, the one farthest away from the back IO plate, I guess if you're describing it, is mm-hmm. actually on top of the card and pushing up, pushing the air up. So basically it pulls an air directly co- from the bottom of the case right onto the die. It would then flow through a thick, dense heat sink and then push out above the card. The RTX 3080 design features an irregular shaped PCB, as you can see by looking at the rear of the card as well. The V-shaped design at the end of the PCB, which is interesting, it actually is like a V-shaped opening for the fan. This V-shaped design has allowed NVIDIA to place the fan closer to the GPU. Um, Yeah, I mean, honestly, I'll just say it right out of the gate here. I think it's real. This is really well thought out, and I think could cool the card incredibly well. Um, What do you think? I mean, just looking at the pictures, it looks real to me. I mean, it's a really interesting design for a card. I actually didn't realize that the PCB itself had like a V-shape indent at the Mm -hmm. end. I wasn't sure if it was supposed to or if that was just the way the image made it look. That's interesting. And yeah, when I was looking at it earlier, I, I did think that a shroud will probably go over it because this looks like almost all heat sink to me. Right. And it's a lot of people going, why would they do this with a fan? And I'm like, it's push pull. This is pulling it from the coldest part of most cases, the bottom Mm -hmm. and pushing it up above the card away from the die, though, not just throwing the air everywhere, intelligently pulling it to a fan as close to the die as you can that then pushes it up. I think it looks awesome. Honestly, I'm like, this is what I'm talking about. Can we please start putting some more money into efficient cooling? Because that's I mean, if you have a substantially better cooler, I always was able to justify getting a liquid cooler even 10 years ago because it was like, gives me 10% more performance. Yeah. You would pay 10% <laughs> more for a 10% better CPU or GPU most of the time. Might as well. I mean, we should really, we've been neglecting cooling way too long, I think. I mean, that's definitely true. It, it's almost not a factor in a lot of people's designs for things, honestly. <laughs> Well, and I said this in the Discord. I'm like, I think this could humiliate AIB designs. And some people were like, well, that's not good because AIB, they depend on AIBs. I'm like, first of all, NVIDIA is big enough. They'll pay to make their own cards if they need to. <laughs> they don't really need the AIBs. I know that backfired on AMD a while ago once, but I, I don't really see that happening again. And I think making this the baseline is like, yeah, so AIBs, if you want to charge more than the Founders Edition, it better be really good. Not just a big, fat, stupid, heavy slag metal thrown yeah. on top. And then it's like, oh, we made the heat sink think- thicker. Give us another hundred bucks. Yeah, and it annoys me because, well, I think it was those Asus, like, three slot designs. Like, a, a, a lot of them, they were just putting... With Fermi. Yeah, they were just putting the same heat sink on every one of their cards. So it was like... Oh, yeah, and they were still doing that recently. So, so I, I'm try- I can't remember what series it was exactly, but, like, like a uh, heatsink design for a 7950 going on like a 7850 or something. So things are in the wrong place. Yeah, um, I don't remember. It was more recent than that when they got slammed really hard, though. I, I want to say it was like the it was the Fury one. Yeah, it might have been. Or it was either the or like a 390X or it may have been a 480. I don't remember, but recently in the past five years, maybe even past, I think actually past three years, Asus like literally repurposed like an NVIDIA's cooler or a cooler for a previous AMD generation. And half of like the copper heat pipes weren't even touching the die. Like they couldn't even be bothered to adjust that. 
But anyways, though, back on subject. I mean, yeah, I think this is a legitimate leak, you know, and I had a video come out today updating my Ampere information based on one of my NVIDIA sources, not all of them, but one, he's like, it, it, it looks real. The others just basically didn't comment. But I, 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 so at the very least, what I can, what everyone said is that within NVIDIA, this isn't circulating with the test boards, but they have been using a triple slot design the whole time, inferring they were going to upgrade their cooling either way. It's just the engineering samples okay. have a less efficient, cheaper, bigger design. And this is something they're putting into to keep it compact for the final card, which it looks really big, but actually it's not very big. Uh, if you actually look at the sides of it and stuff. Yeah, and really overall, it it, it doesn't look massive, but it, but it is overall just kind of hard to tell. There's no real point of reference to give you for scale, so... It doesn't. It looks maybe a little thicker than the Founders Editions, and it'll probably be decently heavier. But in terms of overall dimensions, it'll fit in the same case as a Founders does, as far as I can tell. Yeah. Hey, this is Tom from the future. I am updating this here with a little interlude because so much more Ampere information has come out. And so I just want to go through it quickly before finishing the final pass and uploading this podcast. So anyways, number one, that cooler sounds like it is real, very real. I mean, I was already like 90% sure, if well, if not more than that percent sure it was real. Uh, but now we know that from multiple sources that NVIDIA is investigating the leak from a vendor uh, for the 3080 leaked cooler, that interesting design. So that's true, you know, that that's the cooler, but not necessarily the last cooler they will use. All this really confirms is that this is one of their final choices they're choosing from for the design. Although again, with how finalized it looked, how close we're getting to September, I'm guessing this is what the cooler will look like, to be honest. Um, and so that does fly in the face of people who said it doesn't make sense, which I just want to point that out too, you know, in hindsight, like really guys, people doubting it makes sense. Just just take take a minute to actually look at some of the renders closely. Like a lot of people are just like saying it's in the wrong direction without even realizing they're looking at the picture wrong. And it's it's just push and pull with the fans. It honestly, the design makes sense. Uh, and a lot of people were saying, well, I'm not an engineer, but this doesn't make sense to me. Well, I'm an engineer. And I'm telling you the thermal design makes a lot of sense. And I think it's in an interesting solution. But anyways, that's the cooler. Additionally, I have to touch on this leak from Igor's lab. Now, Igor is not a trigger-happy leaker. He tends to only leak when he feels like he needs to because other people are about to leak or that he's seen so many people talking about a leak that he feels like, well, it doesn't matter. I'm just going to violate an NDA because this isn't, you know... You know, this isn't confidential information anymore, and I'm just going to confirm. Yeah, that stuff you guys were talking about for a few days, it's true. I'll just confirm it's true. And what he points to is that, and this is for me a huge deal, if if this actually ends up happening, which let, let me preface this. NVIDIA can decide to name these cards whatever they want, price them however they want at the last minute. So I, you cannot take this as the final word on it, but this at least tells you this is what NVIDIA is almost certainly planning right now. An RTX 3090 in lieu of the Titan, right? With 24 gigabytes. Supposedly, it sounds like NVIDIA may go with 24 gigabytes of GDR6X with the 3090 and not the Titan. To me, 
if this happens, directly suggests that NVIDIA knows they need to be as aggressive as possible and they don't want to lower the price on the Titan. They don't want the Titan to become a $1,500 card. So they're considering a new class of card, the which is something I was actually expecting them to do for a while now, uh, is something in between a ADTI and a Titan, and that will be the 3090. Now, I don't have any information about if they're going to rush out some GA101 Mega Titan card eventually. I suspect they will. But again, calling this the 3090 tells me it's not going to cost 2500 Now, it might still cost 1800 not 1500 and they might decide to make some rushed-out Super Titan late next year be $4,000. Nothing stopping them from doing that. But this really tells you how aggressive NVIDIA is getting. And then he also goes on to show that they're still currently planning to have some kind of 3080 Super or 3080 Ti with 11 gigabytes and then 10 gigabytes on the bottom GA102 die, presumably the 3080. I find that really interesting that they're still considering 11 gigabytes for some kind of 3080 Ti. That sounds somewhat ridiculous to me that they wouldn't go with 12 like how stingy do you have to be with that but you know maybe it's because they're just going to be aggressive with the 90 maybe the 30 90s 1200 or 1500 and the 30 80 ti is now a thousand or 800 and then the 30 70 600 700 i don't know but anyways igra's lab points to a very aggressive nvidia in fact i will also point out now that you know, my original Ampere leak was 18 gigabit per second memory, and then now my latest one updated it to 21 gigabit per second memory, and now I'm seeing leaks that it could be as hot, above 21. And it's worth pointing out that the reason this would change is both to be more aggressive and probably because, well, NVIDIA only had 18 gigabit per second on hand. I mean, that's not even really in mass production, so they're probably testing boards with simply the fastest memory they could get their hands on. I know some of the console dev kits actually had faster than standard memory for a while too so th that does happen and maybe they're just updating the ram to the fastest speed they can for the 3090 again if they go to 24 gigabytes of gdr6x at above 21 like let's say 22 23 gigabit per second i i don't know i I, th I think the 3090 could double the 2080 ti's performance honestly and if they put that at 1500 wow wow they're scared of rdna too but anyways, that is my updated uh, information that I wanted to throw into this podcast. We'll go on to speculate a bit. I'm like, I'm going to leave that in. It's funny to hear. We, we got most of the speculation correct, but it's kind of funny to hear what we were thinking before this got confirmed. All right, guys. Thanks. Um, outside of that, though, I don't know. I almost used WCCF Tech's article, but like they just had all these errors. They couldn't even spell NVIDIA right. And then, which I bet they fixed it now, have they? No, it nope. still says it's still spelled wrong. They can't even <laughs> fucking type in video. I mean, my God, you guys, that's why I use video cards as often as I can. And then they also jump around like, and it seems like maybe they won't use GA 104 for the 3080, which I don't know. I feel like maybe it's because I insult them like I am now, but like no one thinks they're using GA 104 for the 3080 besides WCCF tech still. Like they were, why else would there be these 103 samples circulating around? And like, and, and, and then there was rumors 103 was canceled, which would tell me, oh, they're probably going to cut down 102 for the 3080 because they're forced to swap over their other dies and they can't make the one. They, they think the 103 wouldn't be good enough on Samsung, right? Yeah, and it's not like they could just magically make the 104 suitable for their needs uh, for right. a stronger card than what the 104 has to offer. I mean, I guess, except by like brute forcing it by achieving higher clock speeds or 
putting better RAM on it or something. And I say this in my last video, which is in the comments section here. Like, I, I think basically what, and again, like, I don't have a hundred percent confirmation. If you really, and again, this is where I'm absolutely clear with you guys. My info about Ampere comes from someone, well, a few sources, some who are touching and working on these cards, but they haven't seen like a full Excel graph lineup. Yeah. What I know is a bunch of information about what is presumably a GA 102. We don't know if it's the full die or cut down. I suspect it's the full die because it seems to be performing about 80% better <laughs> than a 2080 Ti, which tells me it's probably close to the full die. And and I'm making my projections based on that. So I don't know the full lineup, but at least to me, it sounds like they're going to have a 24 gigabyte Titan with one terabyte per second of bandwidth and up to 90%, honestly, higher performance than than a 2080 Ti. So probably somewhere between, but you know, not in all games, maybe 60 to 80% better performance than a Titan RTX. And then below yeah. that, it'll be slightly cut down, but probably I think still 384 bit with 12 gigabytes of RAM. And that should be, you know, again, 70% better than a 2080 Ti. And then the 3080 looks like it's 20% cut down, just like the A100 is. And that one probably with 10 or 11 gigabytes. And it's, that should destroy the existing Titan RTX, even the 3080. And, and I think they're doing this so that, well, they have to because only 102 is basically ready and they want to launch this in September next to Big Navi. And then also, I believe they want to, they don't care if availability is terrible at first. They want to keep the performance crown. They don't want AMD to beat the 3080, at least not by a lot. And they want to be able to keep that $800 price point, right? Yeah. And what... Like the leak shows that they might be using uh, 20 gigabit per second. Uh, 21. The, yeah, 21 for the 3090, which shows really high bandwidth. I mean, I'm, I'm excited to see how these things perform. They look really good. Hopefully they won't be insanely expensive, but I suspect they'll. it looks like they're probably going to try to target the same price point. Yeah, I don't think they're going to raise prices unless AMD pulls a Vega. Um, but I do think they're going to try, they're doing this so that no one complains if they keep the $800 price point for the 3080 or the $1,200 for the 3080 Ti, which I guess they're going to call the 3090 now. Supposedly, again, don't know for sure. And again, if you just think about the differences in bandwidth, you can almost project the differences in performance, like the full Titan with a 5.376 core at like 2.3, 2.5 gigahertz. So maybe even overclocking, I could see this going higher than 2.5, honestly, guys. <laughs> And with 21 gigabit per second memory. And then you go to, I'm guessing, I don't know, they might also use 21 for the 3090, but then also cut it down by 10%. And then if you go down to the 3080, that sounds to be 10 gigabytes. Now that one, I wouldn't be surprised if they went down to 18 gigabit per second and then also cut it down by a solid 25% so that it's, you know, more like 20, 30% better than a Titan RTX. And, yeah. and, and again, that would suggest to me that the full 104 die will probably be used for the 70, actually, and 256-bit. And so that should, yeah, the 3070, but beat the Titan RTX that's out right now. And we haven't even gotten into how much better the ray tracing performance will definitely be by now. <laughs> like, it might be like three times better. Well, I heard four, so it could be five times more. Who knows? That initial thing you had with they said what four times better ray tracing performance or something yeah like three to four there will be some instances where it's more than four and you know at least 3.5 on average mm -hmm. if that all turns out to be true i guess we'll just have to see but again this is really exciting to me 
And like I say in the video again, AMD's acting cocky. Hopefully it's not all just bluster. I really, it would be amazing if, you know, NVIDIA bumping up this performance from what they were initially planning by like 10 to 20% means AMD was, what if they were? What if they were just going to beat the Titan even? And now a NVIDIA just keeps the performance crown by like 10% with the 3090 and then 15% with the Titan. I mean, that would be a world that's so much more competitive. And you could still see one where a liquid-cooled toxic version of the top RDNA 2 card uh, manages to really, really, really impress, right? Well, yeah, I mean, even if like, AMD's top card that comes out uh, as competitors to this is what would that be like 70 to 80 percent better than the 2080 Ti? That sounds like a world I want to live in, assuming they both don't just price gouge. Yeah. Brian Scanlon writes in and he says, one thing that stands out is the ray tracing that never came and the DLSS that never came, even though they were supposed to just work. And by never came, I mean not really in a meaningful way yet. And unless you have a $1,200 card and you're using the latest updates for like a handful of games. On the flip side, the most impressive thing I've seen so far is that Unreal Engine demo on the PS5, which showed what can be done without ray tracing. Yeah, I don't remember how much ray tracing was in that demo, to be honest. And set an interesting bar for developers to hit across platforms towards the end of 2020 and really into 2021. Yeah, really more of a comment than a question there, Brian. I mean, I... I agree that I, uh, I there's a handful of games now. Maybe even, I would even just say two. Really, like I don't think I don't I don't think DLSS yeah. even looks impressive in Control yet to me. There's a couple games now where it does impress me, and ray tracing seems to work okay in Battlefield Five if you have a twelve hundred dollar <laughs> graphics card. Um, I mean, I agree. I think the things coming out from both consoles is impressing me far more than anything Turing's done. I guess you can argue Turing came out two years before it, but. I mean, still then, I mean, you know, it didn't really do anything yet. Anything meaningful. Yeah, it's just like uh, it, when Turing came out, all of the, well, I'll have it when it's in more games. And the problem is Turing was the beta test for ray tracing, it looks like. And what comes after it will be substantially better. I mean, I guess, I don't know. We still don't know how well, like, ray tracing on AMD's ray tracing solution will be really. So maybe Ampere will be insanely good at ray tracing and AMD will just, at like Turing levels, I don't know. Yeah, what what I would say about that just is um, one point that Meyer brought up and others have brought up other guests that's a decent point is they probably wouldn't bother to add the die space for supporting ray tracing unless they plan to do it in a meaningful way in every game with yeah. Xbox and PlayStation. So by that, I take it, I think that's a good point. We just don't know for sure. I think no matter what happens, it's, gonna ray trace better than turing but i don't have any information that'll be better than ampere my guess is it's going to be in between but i don't know right i had one amd one person who talked to someone at amd that said that they intend to market the very top rdna card as a 4k 120 art ray tracing card and the consoles okay. is the entry point to 4k 60 ray tracing yeah and then just with a desktop lineup that goes in between the consoles and top well, around the consoles, even some of them below it, right? And above. But uh, speaking of below the consoles performance, uh, story number two is about the RX 5300, which has been doing some rounds as potentially coming to desktop. Um, so for those who don't know, the 5300 is in laptops right now as a 96-bit, 3-gigabyte 
GDR6 card. It's it's basically a 96-bit version of the 5500 4 gigabyte M. Yeah, right? And that that might come to desktop. I don't know how much I have to add to this, really. I don't know. What do you think about this coming to desktop out of nowhere, Dan? I don't know. It's interesting. The entry-level market used to be a lot more uh, vibrant than it is now. It seems like people only ever talk about the mid-range to high-end markets now. Yeah, it's all APU talk usually in the low end. Yeah, so I mean, I I think this looks like probably close to the minimum level of performance you could Mm -hmm. get. I mean, minimum price you could get for a card in this day and age. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, I don't have too much to add to that, I don't think. Uh, I don't know. It seems like it might be okay. I don't like that it has three gigabytes, but... (laughs) Well, yeah, I guess one thing I'll say is it would be interesting if this was like the 6300 and then they just gave it six gigabytes of memory and priced it like 120. Yeah. I don't know. I'm just spitballing here. You know, I, I thought this was an interesting story to bring up because people ask, you know, when are APUs going to make low end cards obsolete? And it's like, well, I kind of think they already mostly have. It's just every now and then there's going to be openings like the GT 1030 or something where they're like, yeah, this makes sense to launch. Uh, but I don't think you're going to see this all the time. And right now, I'd say there's just barely an opening. Probably if they made this six gigabytes and called it the 6300, as long as they kept it at 100 bucks. Because this would, I mean, you know, this would beat Renoir, which they're, you know, and so this this fills a niche, I think. Yeah. Fatboy Diesel writes him and he says, Tom, do you think the refreshing of the current RDNA lineup would bring the new RDNA instruction set? I seriously doubt RDNA is being refreshed solely for the sake of a marginal 5 to 10% performance uplift to pit fill a potential gap between RDNA and RDNA 2. Well, yeah, so he's, he's talking about the rumors that they may refresh Navi 10 and below. And I've already touched on that in my AMD show of strength video, where from my point of view, if they're going to refresh this, it's probably that they'll do what they did with the R9 270, which was a rebrand of the 7870, but it's slightly lower clocks, but like 30% lower power usage on a more mature node. And it basically slotted in where the 7850 was. And so I could see them like rebranding the 5700 XT, slightly lower core clocks, but now it just needs a single 8-pin or a 6-pin. And they sell it as the 6500 XT or the 6600 XT. And I mean... Yeah, I mean, it it won't have any real ray tracing performance. I don't know if there's some way that there's legacy ray tracing for RDNA 1 once AMD adds support. I have no clue. But whether it has it or not, if it's $250 or below for a more efficient 5700 XT, which would basically be bringing 2070 performance to the $250 or below price point, I don't think anyone's going to complain about that. I think that's perfectly fine. I mean, the only thing I would say is the only thing that might piss people off is if the marketing were bad and it wasn't clear what cards did and didn't have like ray tracing support. I guess that's a good point. Yeah. I I don't know if you would just call it the 5650 XT or something and just leave it as the 5000 series. That I mean, that could be why the 5300 is coming out as well, not called the 6300. Like what if they did that and they're just like, yeah, we're just going to, slot this in as a 5650 XT below the 6700 XT. And because it's the 5000 series, you know, it doesn't really have any ray tracing. Yeah, I mean, and I guess that's the thought process like uh, NVIDIA had behind the 20 and 20 series and 16 series. But 
Yeah, I don't know. I, I think if there's... I, I, I don't like the idea, really, of having some of their lineup have uh, have ray tracing and some of it not, although I think there's a pretty good chance that's going to happen, right? Yeah, probably. All right, story number three. A mysterious AMD RDNA 2 GPU was spotted Sienna Chiclid in Linux patches. Now, I've included some links, right, which references Kamachi, uh, Nsaka, um, Twitter, and it's a WCCF tech article. But if you're really being honest, there's not much more to this story than the code name. I mean, there's also, like, I believe a, a leaked slide that could be fake about it. But I don't know. Dan, I brought this up because you work with Killing Fish. You're in the fish killing business. What do you think about possibly naming RDNA 2 dies after, I don't know, what do you want to call them? I called them DNA fish in the notes here. If they did that. So when he said chiclet, I was like, hey, that's a research a fish people use for research a lot. And I was like, are, if, are they going to like go on to making their naming scheme like DNA based? Because they seem to be really obsessed with calling things things that have to do with DNA. Yes. I think that it might be a reach. I don't know, but it would be fun to see the zebra fish work its way into the lineup. <laughs> <laughs> like they just like the zebra fish die for low end cards. Cause you're not yeah. giving the big die to zebra fish. Yeah. I mean, zebra fish are they're They're, they're uh, minnows for anyone that doesn't know what we're talking about. They're not some badass fish that looks like a zebra. No, they're not. Chiclet, whereas it's well known that chiclets are badasses of the of the uh, DNA fish world. Yeah, and they they kill shit, so that's cool. Uh, it's yeah. fucking sick. That's metal. Yeah, but yeah. I mean, I don't know. I, I I think it might. What I said there is probably tenuous, but I don't know why else they'd be calling this chiclet. I don't know. Yeah. Well, let us move on to story. Number four, AMD Big Navi to arrive before the next-gen consoles. And I quote from video cards, AMD has confirmed that their upcoming Big Navi graphics processors will be the first product based on the RDNA 2 architecture. This means that the next-generation gaming consoles, PS5, Xbox Series X, which are also officially featuring RDNA 2 derivative-based graphics cards, will in fact arrive after Big Navi, if this is correct. The statement came at, from AMD's CFO, Devinder Kumar, who says, who confirmed this during the Bank of America Securities Global Technology Conference. He said that Big Navi will be AMD's first RDNA 2 product. He admitted that there's a lot of excitement for Navi 2X, or what our fans have dubbed as Big Navi, which led him to say, Big Navi is a Halo product, by the way. An enthusiast loved to buy the best, and we are certainly working to make ours the best Halo product this year, which is really exciting. This is what I'm talking about, right? AMD is acting like they could take the performance crown. And, you know, uh, the, the more I think about it, the more I think I just, I would be blown away if somehow AMD got to beat the top big amp here. That would effectively mean they more than doubled 5700 XT performance. But what I could see is if they got this launched in August and had like a month of holding the performance crown, and then they did a better job of competing in the high end than, uh, than they have for a decade, frankly, um, yeah. uh, versus Ampere. Uh, what do you think? I think the setting of where this story came out is interesting. Just some, the CFO saying it kind of, it sounds like offhand. Uh, I think that happens a lot, though. Yeah, I, it's also funny that he's 
Tom, Big Navi confirmed. He called it Big Navi. <laughs> I know. I like when they do that, too, when they just start calling it Big Navi and, like, listen to the rumors and just play into it. Like, yeah, so I know you guys... I mean, they they watch it. Like, when I was at Hot Chips and they were talking about Threadripper, like, I forgot what Lisa Sue said, but she started using terms she was she knew rumor mills were using to denote, like, third-gen Threadripper and everything. I mean, I think this definitely does say they're going to be competing in the I don't I, I don't know if there's a clear delineation between high high end and enthusiast. Uh, people seem to think the 3080 is at the very least high end. Yeah. So I think it seems obvious now that they're going to be competing at that level again, which is I mean, finally. Yeah. Like the, when was the last time they did that? Like the, the Fury. Yeah. Fury. Which which was up there with the 980 Ti. Oh, yeah, that's true. I guess that's kind of how I see this playing out, too, except maybe instead of coming out, you know, a little late, like the Fury did, you know, the Fury was generally considered the same rough performance as the 980 Ti, a little better in 4K, but overall weaker because it wasn't as good at overclocking. Now, I don't want to get into overall Fury X was perceived as slightly weaker than the 980 Ti, but with a great cooler for the same price. um, But then the Titan was just clearly above it by like 10%. And I kind of think that might be what we're going to see here is AMD beats the 3080, doesn't maybe quite beat the 3080 Ti, but they're they're at the top. Enthusiasts will be perfectly happy. At least that's what I hope. I mean, yeah, if pricing is right, people will buy both. And I mean, the reason I think NVIDIA's run away with pricing past like the 70 level is because they haven't really had a competitor past the, their 70 level of performance for five years. Yeah. Well, let us move on. Story number five. AMD says that the era of four gigabyte graphics cards is over. Future games need more VRAM. And I quote from Overclock 3D, with their Radeon RX 5500 XT, AMD has tested models with both four and eight gigabytes of VRAM to see how much difference the extra VRAM can make it, even just 1080p, uncovering a 12 to 24% performance change across five modern games. Beyond raw performance figures, the lower VRAM card could suffer from gameplay stutters and increased texture popping. So I think at first I wasn't sure if this was a big deal or just people were trying to make a story out of it, but I think it is worth bringing up because it's, Odd that they literally pointed out that one of their cards is that much worse. I don't know. Don't you? I don't. You don't usually see that. Like literally saying no. four gigabyte worse. I mean, everyone knows it, but. Yeah, I mean, it is an odd thing. If I'm remembering correctly, they came out with the four gigabyte. Did they come out concurrently with each other? Or was the four gigabyte like the budget option that came out later? Oh, they came out concurrently, I believe. I don't know if the four gigabyte model literally, I think most reviews are with the eight gigabyte, but no, I think they came out at the same time, effectively the same time. Yeah, Yeah, it's definitely a weird marketing thing to show that literally don't buy our four gigabyte model. But uh, I mean, I think it's pretty true. I, I wouldn't definitely wouldn't get a graphics card with less than four gigs right now. I mean, I'm a bit surprised. I, I'm a little surprised at how big the gulf is i guess i don't know if that's partially just because of the games they chose or not but you know they're not the most demanding games but they are some of the most demanding games but like like for instance the new colossus wolfenstein 2 that game's not hard that game runs beautifully and they're like yeah on ultra and 1080p which let's be clear with this card in 1080p you'll be above 60 frames i'm sure with that 5500 xt um there's still 24 percent difference yeah. And I think, I think, I mean, 
a lot of places are pointing this out that the next gen consoles have 16 gigabytes of RAM. And it's like, no, trust me, like, I find it weird that it sounds like NVIDIA is only upping some of their cards to 10 gigabytes. Like, I almost wonder if, like, they'll bring out a 48 gigabyte Titan and a 12 and 24 gigabyte version of the 3090 because the next gen consoles have 16 gigs of RAM and the ability to stream in assets in a way that PCs probably won't be able to as well for a couple of years. So it's like, how do you make up for that? Well, I think we're going to need at least 32 gigs of RAM in our systems. I mean, in 32 gigabytes of RAM, I think that's pretty fast approaching. Like, look at how much is coming out on cards now. Like, regardless, I think mm-hmm. two years from now, cards with that much RAM will be a, a thing. Uh, 64 gigabytes is more out of, is more far fetched, but yeah. if the consoles are that good at streaming and assets, I think it might be a necessary thing to happen where you can just store basically the entire game in RAM. <laughs> well, yeah, and with things like high bandwidth cache, which it's the, the jury's not out, but it sounds like AMD uh, might be bringing an upgraded version of that to the, at least the high-end um, RDNA 2 cards. And then with NV cache at least coming supposedly to the highest end you know, professional cards as well, eventually I would expect that to roll into the other cards. And again, I think what people need to understand about that Unreal Engine 5 demo is it's like, no, we're not... Yeah, there are some systems that just probably can't run it, actually. Let me just say that. But what's what might end up happening is Unreal Engine 5 was meant to scale in many different directions. More cores, more compute, or better I.O. And you might get into a situation where if you have a graphics card with 32 gigabytes of RAM, much more, because usually in the past, it's like either there's a huge performance loss or there's little difference, right? Except like in edge cases like here, where it's like 10 to 20% difference. Um, But usually it's just a ton or none. And we might get into a situation where if you can cache more assets in your VRAM and in your DDR4 or DDR5 eventually, you'll just get a performance boost or polygon count boost that other systems aren't getting. Maybe not a resolution boost, but a polygon count boost. And uh, things will, you know, you'll get a higher frame rate. Like yeah. people are, are underestimating that more RAM may just actually equal more frame rate in a much more linear way than it used to. With uh, like SSDs on the consoles, especially the PS5 being more comparable to RAM, yeah, VRAM size definitely could just equal performance for a while, I think. Yeah, I agree. For my new benchmarking station, I did use a legitimate key of Windows 10 Professional, and that's because it's just not expensive if you go to CDK Offers. They did sponsor me to say this, but I use their website, and it works well. They have great customer support, and if you use offer code BROKENSILICON, you'll get 25% off Windows software, and DieShrink gets you 3% off all software on the website, including game codes. I will reiterate, it was really easy for me to actually set up an account on this website, search for Windows, buy the code using whatever payment method I wanted, and they do have several options, and then I simply got sent the authentic key and downloaded Windows 10 from Microsoft's website. Save yourself some money to get more bones for your dog and don't stress yourself out using illegitimate keys. These are real keys and they did sponsor this part of the video. So one more time, that's cdkoffers.com. Use DieShrink for 3% off all software on the website, including Steam games and Broken Silicon for 25% off software. All right, now let's get to the benchmarking. 
Number six, more Intel Willow Cove, Golden Cove, and Ocean Cove info emerges from yet another source. And so this came from Twitter and I retweeted it with my own little comment. But basically, if I, I'm looking at it right now, he basically says Skylake, if, if that's 1x and then all of these other ones, right, like Comet Lake are yeah. 1x. And then you get to Sunny Cove, 18% better performance. Then if you get to Willow Cove, which is supposed to be almost 10% better than that, then you get to about 1.25x Skylake. And then Golden Cove should be, well, about 50% more performance per, you know, per clock than Skylake. And then Ocean Cove, you get up to 70 or 80%. And I just retweeted this because I'm like, dude, that's the conclusion I came to with my leak about Whispers of Golden Cove in October. And I said it directly in there. I mean, I think 50% higher IPC than Skylake. But again, guys, keep in mind, this is coming out 2021, 2022. So seven years later, that's not that crazy. No. And I mean, I don't think any response should be that's that's crazy. That makes no sense. I mean, I guess they finally figured out figured it out after five years of stagnation. But mm-hmm. yeah, it, it shouldn't be a surprise. I mean, that uplift that we would, were seeing in Ocean Cove, which would probably be in like Meteor Lake or something, right? That, that yeah, that's a pretty big uplift from even or lunar. Yeah, uh, <laughs> uh, as people know, um, some people, some of you may know, I've received a a book of new Intel roadmap information that I haven't had a chance to go through. I was going to go through it, you know, the, this day that we're recording it, but instead I decided to get that Ampere video out. Um, but yeah, so you can expect a lot of updates from this. From me about all these architectures soon. And yeah, I mean, I don't know. We're going to, Skylake's going to be very, very, very old looking in a couple of years. I mean, honestly, when I think about people comparing it to Skylake, it'd be like if for some reason in a couple of years, it'd be, it'd be like if two years ago we were comparing Skylake to like the Core 2 quad architecture yeah. for some bizarre reason. It's like it's been seven years. Skylake wasn't some golden architecture. It was just really, really good at gaming with. It, the game only needed four cores. Like, that's it. Yeah, and up until this year, I, I, I would say it's been good enough where Intel has mm-hmm. it, where Intel's not completely screwed when it comes to gaming. I mean, I, I guess depending on how you look at it, you could still even say it's the, the best architecture for gaming. But it, it, <laughs> I think once the 8-core uh, 16-thread uh, consoles come out, it's going to quickly look very obsolete and yeah yeah that's why they're adding more cores that's why uh alder lake is supposedly going to be 16 cores 24 threads which is an interesting design which i have more info on that 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 sounds correct there are some changes to the design i have though that could be true i just need to get in a, a couple other sources to comment on it if you know if that's true and and I, uh, the one thing I will say is I'll let this drop this now for people who've listened this far into the podcast. It sounds like Ring Bus is here to stay for many years in their gaming consumer architectures. Mm. Like there was the talk about, are they just going to move like a better version of the mesh to everything? And it's like, no, I th- they think the solution is to have a great Ring Bus of up to like 10 cores and then have that followed by an army of Atom cores that are basically the equivalent of an Ivy Bridge uh, core each. And I'm like, honestly, for gaming, that sounds like that could be incredibly good. I mean, I don't know, right? Yeah. Is it just what it, it, is the idea of just a ring bus? Does it kind of degrade once you get to a certain amount of cores? I <laughs> there are slight IPC decreases. I mean, even in some newer games, in some settings, you can see where like a 5.5 gigahertz right, Skylake will still crush Comet Lake in some instant, in some areas. 
because it's a ring bus. It's a ring. So yeah. every core you add is another step to have some of the cores communicate with each other. Yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah, I mean, so that makes sense. And I mean... They uh, don't want to go above eight, frankly. Ten was pushing it. I am really excited to see uh, to see the big little with Alder Lake. Uh, Which to the people that say that's, that's not going to work out, it's like, well, they hired Jim Keller to make it work. So we'll see. Maybe it won't, but I don't know why you're so sure it won't work. Everyone thought the multi-chiplet design wouldn't work with AMD, and it's working well. Yeah, I mean, especially especially now with the 3000 series, I think that is where it really started shining more. But <laughs> Yeah, all right. Story number seven. TSMC's 5 nanometer plus node manufacturing goes into high volume in quarter four of 20. 20- 20. AMD, one of the major customers, and I quote from Tech Power Up, TSMC is working hard to bring the best silicon out there with this company supplying many of the companies like NVIDIA, AMD, Huawei, and Apple, all customers who demand the latest and greatest when it comes to the silicon technology. According to sources close to DigiTimes, TSMC is expected to kick off volume production of its next generation 5 nanometer plus, 5 nanometer plus people plus manufacturing node which is an enhancement of the original five nanometer node already in production and this plus version should be making products as soon as quarter four this year which again i believe is zen 3 plus apus and maybe cdna oh that makes sense because yeah this appearance that they might be on five nanometer on zen 3 is well, it's ahead of schedule. There's no way around it. Yeah, they might delay true. three nanometer, but five is ahead of schedule. Yeah, that's uh, kind of weird. But I mean, if Zen 3 comes out, what, Q1 next year? I mean, I guess that all makes sense. Zen, Zen 3? I mean, not Zen 3. Zen 3 Plus. Yeah, Zen 3 Plus. That I guess that all makes Q1 sense. Q1 or Q2 next year, yeah. Yeah. And I guess one thing I'll reiterate, though, is it's not going to be as big of an uplift as... Like, I don't remember what it was. It's not as big of a deal as 7 over 12. It's like, I don't know, instead of it being like an 80% density increase. I don't know. I think the density increase theoretically was close, but the power savings and performance clock uplift was way smaller. So, in fact, I've heard compared to 7 nanometer EUV, 5 nanometer, which is all EUV, I believe, as well, is only really like 20, 30% better than that. Okay. So it is It is a full node. You know, it's better than seven nanometer by more than like a small 10, 20%, but it's not as huge. And again, the way to think of it is the stuff they had to figure out to get seven nanometer EUV working, which is working now, mm, applies to five nanometer. So, you know, once they, it's just like, you know, once they got 12 nanometer working, they're like, oh, 10 nanometer just works and we're almost to seven. Yeah. Now three nanometers up in the air, but I don't know. I think this is... This is exciting. I, I think uh, that's why it's like, do am I going to get Ampere or RDNA 2? Probably not, especially when I consider RDNA 3, 5 nanometer might come out at the end of next year. You yeah, know, I mean, especially for you, I think that might be, it, it might be. Well, I mean, I have a Radeon 7, so I'm not exactly <laughs> yeah. screwing around, but. Yeah, I, maybe, maybe I guess you're probably more interested in the Ampere stuff. Uh, I mean, maybe if the right performance for the right p- price came out, I would definitely consider it. But Blokes writes him and he says, I'd like to point out that the MemCLK to FCLK synchronization method introduced with Zen 2 is completely useless on Zen 2. Even if you were to reach an eye-watering 5600 uh, MT per second on DDR4 with some semblance of non-trash timings left in the tank, that would be 2600 
MEMCLK or 1300 FCLK when synced one to two. However, just because a feature is introduced does not mean it's introduced for the platform it currently houses, right? So he's saying it mostly helps them plus. Indeed, if we are to believe that DDR5-8400 isn't some pesky parlor trick, but an actual thing that will happen, uh, that would mean an, a memory clock of 4200 megahertz or an F, a 2100 FCLK when synced in one to two mode. This is your peek into the future. <laughs> It applies to Zen to five nanometer processes. So I thought we put the reader mail for that one there. I mean, I, I guess it is interesting. Like if you look into the, uh, if you actually look into the meaning of everything that's on their current, uh, on their current hardware, it might give you some uh, look into what the future is probably going to be. Yeah, Nils writes in, just like you guys can if you support us on Patreon. And he says, with a lot of the tech press, especially the PCMR bait channels like Linus Tech Tips, shitting on the Xbox Series X and PS5's SSD in a rather snarky and arrogant ways, when do you think they will go back on their previous statements? I see three main opportunities for admitting incorrectness. One, first hands-on hand footage. Two, porting games requiring NVMe drives, presumably of a certain speed with the PCIe 4.0 GPUs. Or three, release of GPUs with onboard storage. The question was inspired by Linus being incredibly smug as he said he hopes that a thrown together in drive, eight drive RAID array can and trickle down to the consoles despite them already being far ahead feature-wise with dedicated hardware decompression, direct access from the GPU, etc. Yeah, I didn't hear he used that as one of his examples. And I did see only a, a few of his weird smug arrogant rants but i believe you wrote this reader mail right before linus apologized uh nails which is i guess let's just get into it that is story number eight linus apologizes for his anti-sweeney ssd rants Epic Games CEO tim sweeney recently stated that the upcoming playstation 5 would feature a storage architecture Far ahead of anything you can buy on anything on PC for any amount of money right now, Linus initially attacked Sweeney's statements, citing existing SSDs with faster read-write speeds. In his video, Linus explains how he misunderstood Sweeney's statement, apologizes for spreading misinformation, and discusses some of the cool tech that makes the PS5 truly exciting for gamers of all stripes. I actually had a tweet about this where I said, this is... Not just a well-made video and a good apology, right? So Linus apologizes for, like, honestly insinuating weird things about Sweeney for going out of his way to say good things about the consoles. And then takes it another step farther by explaining how the PS5 works, explaining how he didn't know that ahead of time, uh, which I find bizarre how arrogant he got, honestly, though. He got so arrogant about Sweeney's statements without actually watching any of the information, it seems, uh, but then went on in this video to basically explain it to everyone. And I said on Twitter, he, he this is a net positive. This is a rare time where someone made a mistake, apologized, and found a way to make their mistake be a chance for everyone to learn. And, and in a way, they probably wouldn't have otherwise. Well, I mean, I think other than the video, the Mark Cerny conference, this is probably the largest audience to ever see the architecture actually explained, like, so, yes, and he did a good job of explaining it, too. Yeah, he did a very good job of explaining it. I mean, like, I watched it, and it, there wasn't really anything new to me, but I'm sure there were a lot of people that hadn't seen it explained like that, that were going around Reddit shit posting about how about 
who had clearly had never actually taken the time to look into what it meant. No, it's not just the speed of the SSD that matters. It's that and several other features that are being included with the PS5 and the fact that it's dedicated hardware to this. So optimizing around their hardware solution is essential to making the PS5 work well. Right, which is something I've had a developer, one developer that I speak to literally give me this example. It's like, it's like there's just no way to really utilize that bandwidth in games right now. And that's why you see like, faster SSDs, twice as fast as a hard drive in loading. But then the fastest SSDs, which sometimes the fastest SSDs have more bandwidth difference to a SATA drive than the SATA drive does to a hard drive. And yet the difference in load time is like 20% more or something, or 20% less, I should say, really. And the reason that is, is there's no way to really utilize that bandwidth effectively to load the game in... And the PS5 went out of its way so that when it says 9 gigabit bytes per second, it actually means 9 divided by like 100 megabytes, what we have in consoles right now, to actually load, you know, 100 times faster. Instead of, and I saw this honestly in the Xbox Series X State of Decay demo, twice as fast, <laughs> you know, if, if, if you don't have that six-tiered storage, that direct access to the GPU, and, you know, all of these other co-processors, you're never going to make a game load 10 times faster despite having 10 times the bandwidth. Yeah, right. Exactly. And he explained that. And, and, and I'm just glad the truth's finally coming out more and more. Like, I don't know what to tell you guys. It's like some people call me a fanboy for, for just reading the information. I mean, I think part of it is just that uh, people are used to are used to seeing some claim and they're used to it being overblown. Which is why I've tempered it a little bit, too, in the past, where I think it's becoming more and more clear as time goes on that I don't think if they were hyping the claims, they are just hyping them up a bit. I don't think they were straight up lying at this point. Uh, Which is what he basically acted like. Yeah. Yeah. I I never personally thought that that's what that they were just blatantly lying. But I could see I, 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 I think there's definitely a chance that they were and maybe still are hyping it up a little bit. We won't know until we see it. But the, and that's right. why I'm not doubling down on anything, right? I'm not, that's why it's like, well, how much better is this than this? And it's like, well, I don't know because we don't have games running yet. The Unreal Engine 5 demo was the first peek at it, but it. But but my point this whole time is it's going to be a difference and it could be a profound difference. I've been told that there's entire things devs don't even need to program for anymore on on the PS5, for instance, specifically that they that they that makes it a lot easier to build the game one. And that number two saves a ton of draw calls to the CPU. Thus, you know, but I don't know. I don't know how much percentage better that makes, whatever, right? Yeah, or maybe that leaves more space for, I don't know, like AI optimization on the PS5 to be ran by the CPU and it doesn't need to be constantly coordinating draw calls or whatever. So yeah, the implications are large. (laughs) Yeah, people need to stop ignoring them. Bootman writes in, never really found consoles that appealing. Well, let me cut you off right there, Bootman. I just find hardware appealing. I've never thought of it as a console or not, but let me 
continue reading here. They work for gaming, that's all. Well, so that's not true. <laughs> but I mean, it used to be, I guess. But anyways, he says, since the late 80s, I've been gaming on PC. The evolution has been amazing and seems to only get faster again after Intel's 10 years of four-core dominance, I suppose, as an outlier. Uh, but we really needed AMD to pull their finger out. And thanks to Lisa for that. Uh, oh, he goes, Dan, I guess he has two questions here. Um, Dan, have you ever had bad experiences with AMD? So let me ask that first before I continue as reader mail. Um, I mean, I guess the way I would put it is not too bad. No, I mean, I get did get I'm the thirty ninety broke right. Yeah, so. it yeah it was the I, I could I always get it mixed up if it was the Vega fifty six or thirty ninety that broke thirty ninety. Yeah, it was the thirty nine. I had a DOA thirty ninety, which sucks, but you get DOA components every once in a while, and it frankly yeah. wasn't that big of a hampering to my, what I had. Um. I mean, my 2700X right now is working fine. I dropped my Phenom, which that was yeah. my fault. Uh, the 8320 I had was okay. I mean, it was okay. It was cheap. It was okay, and I paid an okay price for it. So I got what I bought. <laughs> um, yeah, well, what I would say is I had a 470 8 gigabyte break, right? If you'll remember, a few weeks after I got it. But that worked out awesome for me because I just sent it back to Newegg because it was under 30 days. So I just got my Insta refund and sent it back. When I saw there were $300 Fury Nitros being sold, and I'm like, oh, I'll just get this 20% better card anyways. So I guess it's not 20% better now because of how it's aged. But back then, that was, you know, a quieter card than that 470, 20% stronger for less money or for about the same price I paid for the 470, actually, because it was, it was some souped up 8 gigabyte version of the 470. And so that worked out fine for me. I think, Dan, can we be honest? The worst experience we've had with AMD was their drivers in January, December. I mean, yeah, because I would say that aside from DOAs, which I, I really don't assign that much blame to a company for a DOA for the most part, regardless of who it is, just because that happens every once in a while. If an article comes out like 30%, not 30, like 10% of these cards are DOA, that's really bad. But like, as far as an individual basis, that's just a shitty thing that happens every once in a while. And other mm -hmm. than that, though, I've never really had an AMD product break on me. Uh, so yeah, I, I guess I would agree. As far as like a, as far as an issue with the company, I think that those driver issues are the worst I've ever experienced. Right, and then Bootman goes on and asks, "Are consoles really setting the baseline for gaming now? Did they before? Love the content." And so that's really a different question. Rounding back to that console discussion we were having. Um, and we talked about this before, uh, uh, and Linus talks about this in his apology video. Linus says something I've said, something I've heard the good old gamer say, which is, I'm not so sure that consoles are setting the baseline so much this time, so much as I'm worried PC gaming is going to hold back console performance. Like, and I know some people call us console fanboys for saying stuff like that, but it's like, guys, it's like the math is there. The info's out there. There are massive efficiency gains to be had when you bypass the CPU with superior I.O. and program just for an SSD. And so I'm really worried that PC will hold back third-party console games and that we might get exclusives, for instance, on the PS5 that look outrageously better than other things on a cheaper device. But I don't think that's going to last for very long. As always, there will be brute force and PC gaming will evolve, which I've talked about with way better games in a few years, but there might be an awkward period there. And, 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 and in terms of just, anyways, though, previous consoles setting the baselines, the problem here is it's like if you were before the 80s, there was no 
gaming on PC. It was just horrible consoles. And <laughs> it's basically been this migration from uh, consoles moving from just a wildly different price point to being competitive with PC. It's actually a new thing, relatively speaking. It's like if you compare the PS1 to PC, it's like, yeah, your PC is stronger than this PS1 or this Nintendo 64. But guess what? It also costs 3000 fucking dollars and this console's 200 So what's your point? Well, yeah, I know. I'm trying to think. I guess the time where what PC was truly in the picture for gaming um, in the 80s yeah i guess that's true I, I don't remember much of the history honestly before well, you weren't born in the 80s the so early, well I, I shouldn't say i don't know much about the history before like the early 2000s right now it, the new gen of consoles it looks like will be mid-range it will probably be mid-range but will force pc to adapt to a new paradigm that i think might be able to uh reinvigorate this PCs as well, which have just generally been getting incrementally stronger for like a decade now. <laughs> yeah, and I've had a couple, uh, at least one developer who never really got back to me after his initial conversation with me, talk to me about how like, you know, introducing CDs forced uh, devs to work on like basically streaming and assets for the first time with open world games because they had a lot of data they could work with but the bandwidth was horrific on the PS1. And I know some people make fun of me for saying this, but like there's a lot of consoles like the Xbox 360 and PS3 that brought in, you know, six threads for gaming that were just not being used on PC, for instance. And then yeah. before that, like I said, with disc-based games, you know, so there's there are things the consoles bring in where it forces the devs to go, okay, well, now we have to utilize this technology because 100 million consoles will be sold and we want to sell our game on this console. Yeah. And that benefits PC most of the time. To get back to what he's saying, though, it's like a PC, like it's like it really was the PS4, Xbox One generation that was ever even remotely comparable to price performance of PC. Before yeah. that, it was just an entirely different realm, like different devices. Like, I don't even know how you compare, for instance, the PS2 or GameCube to PC. <laughs> They're entirely <laughs> different architectures. The GameCube was dirt cheap. Like, how do you even compare that to a two grand PC? Yeah, that's true. Um, and they did far less. The PS2 just booted up and played DVDs or games. It, it had none of the multimedia stuff PCs had at the time either. I, I mean, you are literally right that there is objectively less functionality on a game console than a PC. But I, I don't think that not means- that much less. You know, it used to be most people had like a console, you know, like a GameCube, a Nintendo 64, a PS2. And then if they were had a lot of money, they would have not just a cheap laptop, but a gaming PC. And it's kind of going the other way around where a lot of people have decent computers and then the console is becoming the more luxury gaming device just because it only really does... It's not that it just does one thing anymore, but I think you're finding consoles going back to the, oh no, all we really need to do well right now is gaming and uh, uh, content consumption. I mean, yeah, that's true. It's, it's, like, it's a luxury device now. Everyone has a PC and they all play games. PCs aren't that expensive anymore. I, I mean... I, I, I've helped friends build gaming PCs for like $600 before, and it wasn't a great gaming PC, but it worked fine. <laughs> well, and now, the, I mean, look at Renoir, look at Ice Lake, that level of graphics performance, you can run the majority of games ever made well. Yeah. So it's more of a luxury to be able to run all of these newer games. Yeah. Fatboy Diesel writes in and he says, I bet 50,000 francs that Microsoft will resurrect Connect for VR. Yeah, I don't know. I might take that bet. I don't think 
I don't think they're going to. The only way I see that happening is if they say PSVR 2 is successful and then decide to launch some kind of competitor. I, I don't think Connect's coming back anytime soon. Do you? Well, I, I mean, Resurrect Connect. I, I don't know. I, I don't know why they would use it anymore other than VR, I guess. But it's kind of a dead feature that no one really cares that much about. I mean, to summarize the discussion, I, I don't know what they would bring Connect up for. Like, what are you, do you think we're going to go back to making games where you throw a big red ball? No. Because <laughs> that's all they use Connect for. And I, 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 re, I was actually really impressed by Connect when it first came out, but they never seemed to do anything with it. I assumed it was because no one wanted to use it, but. You know, you could just make the simplistic argument. Look, if no one used it to make a good game, maybe it wasn't able to. I saw Connect firsthand, at least on the 360, and like, yeah, the the delay times on that were god awful. I'm assuming it was in well, the, the one on the one was was pretty I, impressive. They just did literally nothing with it. I, I mean, and I think the problem. You're right. Like the problem is, what do you do with it? Like, there's just so a limited number of things you can do with just your hands if you're not being like filmed by several cameras that are mapping all of your movements maybe you could do something really cool if we were mapping all of our movements but i don't think that's ever happening all right and so that finishes up the stories the 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 questions i put there relative to the the main stories the reader mails now we're to just one final segment we wanted to do and that's kind of looking back at a year of the channel, you know, and the and the first, really the first Broken Silicon episode. Well, I guess, yeah, and I, I encourage you guys to send extra reader mails, you know, kind of, you know, looking forward or any other things you want to talk about. And let's start here, though, Dan. Did you listen, re-listen to part of the first episode from exactly one year ago? Uh, I did. I listened to some of it. You, As you know, I am allergic to hearing my own voice, though, so it, it, it's, I couldn't listen to too much of it. Yeah, I mean, you were definitely nervous, but I didn't think it was as bad. There were some, there were definitely um, more awkward pauses than usual. And I thought it was, I don't know. I, I, I got to say, actually, one thing I noticed is some of those times I was quote unquote cutting you off. It was definitely, I didn't align the audio perfectly. <laughs> Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, uh, yeah. I guess you are right. Which is interesting because I heavily edited that one for a few hours, more than a few hours. That first one took me forever to get done. But yeah, I I noticed that I wasn't actually cutting you off half the time. Like you could tell it was starting another conversation. So we've gotten much, much, much better at handling this too. Yeah, and it's just like natural talking. You, you, there are some interruptions and adding in the fact that I was probably... So anyways, going on to number six, so that's what happened, as an yeah. example. You were talking, and I just, like, started a new sentence, like, while you were mid-sentence, and then you kept talking like I hadn't interrupted you, and it ended. So that's how I know I was yeah. definitely not cutting you off some of the time. Well, and I think we've gotten better at talking about the stories in a more directed way. Because I can really easily get off subject when I'm talking and I'll just, I don't know, start drifting in another direction I didn't even think I would when I started talking. <laughs> I got to say, though, overall, though, it was better than I expected. Like it we were it was funny to hear some of our things we were talking about. Literally, it was so funny. Like we were literally talking about how it seems like Sony's going for 
completely eliminating load times one year ago. And then we were also talking about NVIDIA looking at using Samsung for Ampere. Oh, (laughs) that was near the end of the episode. That's a very uh, prophetical then. I mean, I think it was pretty common knowledge that both Microsoft and Sony were looking to eliminate load times with their next consoles. Uh, even not, not that widely reported, but we were talking about it while no one else was. Yeah, that's true. Because when did they do that like Spider Man demo thing? That was late last year, right? Or I think that was around that time. I don't okay. remember if it was after or if this was before or after though that episode. Okay. But yeah, you definitely sounded a bit nervous. <laughs> I mean, I'm sure I did. I generally don't consider myself the best at talking in general. So. <laughs> I think I've gotten well, better at the, at it, especially in this regard, because like in school, even even though I knew like everything that I was doing in my head, like when it came to like OCHEM or calculus, stuff like that, I had a really tough time explaining my thought processes to other people. And I've always had a hard time doing it, I think. Well, hopefully this podcast is helping you get better at it. It is. (laughs) But yeah, there's another thing that I remember. So the first episode came out before Zen 2 was officially like really shown off. And the funny thing was we were still just talking about that episode, how blown away we were by Zen Plus's price performance. And I think I stumbled out because I listened to most of it. I skipped around a little bit. I didn't listen to it the whole thing from start to finish today. But it was funny to hear like me and you just starting to rant, just like, we don't know what people want anymore. Like the 9900K, yes, it's like 10 to 20% better at gaming sometimes. It's double the price and uses more energy. Why is anyone acting like that matters when it's that cheap? And it was just, uh, we were just like ranting on and on. Like, well, what price do people want anymore from AMD? Like, what does it need to be? Triple the price performance? Oh, yeah, I I do remember that. And I still think that, but... (laughs) Yeah. So Steak and Chicken Man writes him and he says, what's the next big thing for Moore's Law is dead? And I would say, honestly, it's the the continued increase in quality and then hopefully making this my full time job. That's what I'm planning to do. Honestly, I just let you guys know this summer. I'm hoping to. I didn't do it too early. And I think a lot of people who get into YouTube or whatever or podcasting leave their job too early and then they, you know, I, I tried to stay in as long as possible, not just so that there isn't this drop off in quality of life or whatever for myself, but it's also so that once your channel starts growing quickly, you need to hire more help and I want to be able to actually pay them. Right. And then also I don't want to be beholden to certain advertisers or content types. I want to be at a level where it doesn't matter. I can say whatever I want about AMD and Intel. And the fact that this has been a secondary job to my main job, which pays well, means I couldn't care less if AMD talks to me. (laughs) Like, because I don't need their support. My channel doesn't depend on anything. I don't need to be in the news every week. And, And that's why I've taken so long to do this. But I'd say that's what it is. And, you know, and if this channel can grow big enough, it's growing a team, growing, uh, traveling more, visiting hot chips every year for sure. Maybe going to E3 if that doesn't die immediately, uh, going to Xbox and PlayStation reveal events, going to all of these things, you know, trying to get into some AMD, Intel, NVIDIA, GTC. For NVIDIA would be a great thing if I could get to that. But, you know, it's just not in the cards yet. So that's really... And the only other thing I would say is I think everyone would be surprised how much the quality of my opinions might increase if this was my only job. Because yeah. time is such a factor in everything we do, Dan. Like right now, I just finished an Ampere video. You have to work tomorrow. If this was like more focused, we would be freed up 
I, I just think the quality would just go up, even if there wasn't more content. Well, yeah, I mean, and I'll say for my part, I think for the most part, this plus or minus a little bit of uh, of additional work is about the level of commitment I'm willing to do. I mean, this is obviously a mostly you thing. So, so, but, but the notes I can send you could be yeah, more focused. True. There could be more time that I put into thinking about what to talk to you about, like getting enough sleep, honestly, before I record. Yeah, that's true. And I mean, I think the podcast has gotten, I, I think it's gotten noticeably better over time. And oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, making this your full time job will obviously make this a stronger channel and a stronger podcast. Yeah. Bullocks writes in and he says, besides the fact that HEDT CPUs, the 3900X, are suddenly affordable and that this is was the very best time to make a very cheap system, it has honestly been a bit snoozy for me in the desktop space. What for you since the start of your channel has been the most exciting launches and developments in PC hardware? Let me ask you, why don't you answer that, Dan? I mean, I don't know. I think one of the most exciting things that I've seen since this whole channel has started has been the fact that like HEDT is now $400. Um, what we used to think of, right? Yeah. Cause people forget like it used to be quad cores below 400, but then to go to a six core, it's like $700 to a thousand. I mean, when I got in, I think six cores might've been, yeah, they would have been, at least been close to a thousand dollars. Intel, yeah. not, Technically, the although the state of California says bulldozer wasn't a six core. <laughs> if you're in the state of California and you have a bulldozer, you don't have a six or eight core. Uh, um, other than that, I, I don't know what excites me that much. I mean, I think we got into the space right as it was a big stagnation was starting. This channel started when the stagnation started ending, and I don't think it's completely clear what the full implications of that lack of stagnation means yet. No, I I, I agree. Um, how fast we might start accelerating again. Like, I mean, the stuff we're hearing, if if my info is correct about Ampere, this is going to be a Maxwell level increase in performance, if not more. Like up until recently, high volume cards have still been selling GDDR5. Which is insane. Which GDDR5 came out, what, 12 years ago? Like the 4000 series, HD 4000. It's absolutely ridiculous. Yeah, so I, I, I'm not quite sure what the full implications of all that mean yet, but I think, I mean, I think it's very interesting, all of it really, but I don't know what, I, I don't know what will end up mattering in the long run yet. Yeah, from my point of view, I, I think I agree. It's really the core count things. It depends how you answer this, right? Like I can talk about how, Honestly, before my channel even started, I would say in the past four years, the fact that laptops are just good now, like there's no compromises. I can get a slim Asus laptop that has an RTX 2060, an eight core with 16 threads, and it has a six hour battery life. That's insane. That's insane. Oh, yeah. To be able to get this no compromises, long battery life, slim, light, and High performance now is just an option. Just depends how much you want to spend. That just wasn't an option before. And then in the past couple of years, I mean, the 3950X, there's a reason I bought it. You know, I, I really, I, I almost bought Threadripper, you know, in 2019, early 2019, just because it was getting so cheap. But I waited and just seeing, I mean, really think about it. 
The 3950X takes up around the same amount of space as your Phenom 4 did. I mean, yeah. your Phenom 2 times 4 did. And it's 16 cores, 32 threads, and it doesn't use a ton of energy. It's quiet. It uses 100 watts. That's it. Uses less energy than your quad core, Dan, when we got into PC gaming. It's absolutely ridiculous. I mean, yeah, and I think, yeah, more cores is obviously incredibly significant. And once again, like I said earlier, uh, once the status quo, which I'm saying the console is status quo, is eight core, 16 thread, I think uh, multi-threaded tasks are going to be very important soon for gaming. And frankly, a four core I would say almost just doesn't cut it at this point in time. Yeah, I agree. Let me blow through the rest of this here. But, you know, I don't know. Again, this is these questions here are kind of the celebration portion where we're just going through, you know, lingering questions you guys might have. Jose writes him, is there any improvements or goals that ray tracing technologies are tying to reach other than DLSS? Like, is there some algorithm or hardware that we know we can develop and will improve the performance of ray tracing technology. Oh, oh okay. I, I kind of see the question here. So, like, is there something else coming out that will kind of synergize with ray tracing like DLSS did? Um, you know, I'm not really sure how to answer that question. It's really quite a large question. I honestly just think, like, in terms of, like, what's going to make ray tracing work even better and and it's just going to be when we start finally putting co-processors and ASICs, FPGAs that are meant to do one task on devices. Well, yeah. As, like, like I, I really just think that needs to happen. I've, I know I've already said that I've been told Zen 4 might still not do stuff like this, but I just think it needs to happen. Well, yeah, and I, I, I know we've definitely talked about that off mic, at least, and I think we have on mic, but like, the idea of FPGAs and ASIC or just dedicated hardware to doing a specific task will become more and more important as the limits of Amdahl's law become more evident. <laughs> yeah. All right, Dan, this one's for you. That's why I put the text here for those who don't know in the script in yellow. This is a Danny question, so he notices it. Joe Starr writes in. He's got two stars around his name, so it's really Star Joe Star Star writes him and says, this is this one is a bit off the wall, but Tom, do you think that AI can be trained to correlate DNA sequences to species of animals? For example, do you think an AI, given sufficient enough examples of human appearances, traits, organ systems, paired with DNA, do you think they could build comprehensive models of, say, George Washington, based on DNA samples? Dan, what do you think? Um, so, yeah, I, I, I did spend a little bit of time on this question trying to think Good. of how to put it. But, okay, so for the first question, because I like how you say, for example, when you're asking two fundamentally different questions. Um, <laughs> for, so for the first one, can an AI be trained to correlate DNA sequences to species of animals? My answer to this is, yeah, probably could because we don't need that. We, there's an algorithm called the BLAST algorithm that's 30 years old. That it's a BLAST. <laughs> yeah, that's what we say. You got to BLAST it. Uh, that algorithm is 30 years old now, and the 30-year-old algorithm is good enough for correlating that. Like, depending on what region of DNA you gave me, you could give me 20 uh, base pairs of DNA and tell me what species does that come from, and I could tell you, I don't know, probably a rat. Mm -hmm. As far as, do you think we could build, like, a comprehensive AI algorithm that, based on, like, sequencing, gives you, could give you a model of what a person looks like? That's yeah. a lot more up for question. I, I would say I don't know, uh, but I would say... They do that in devs. 
That's true. Well, Dev's Dev's had a lot of kind of insane technology in it that I don't know if it's possible or not. I'm just plugging Devs again too. Oh, yeah. It's such a fantastic show. Plug Devs. It's a great show. But like we already know that having identical DNA doesn't necessarily tell you exactly what a person looks like. Like identical twins don't look identical. Um we already know that DNA that your genome isn't the only determining factor in what you look like. And we also, I won't get too deep into it, but we really don't know that much about genetics. We're still very much on the like surface level. Like I can tell you what this one gene does in an ideal situation. Um, we don't know how that gene plays with everything else though. Yeah. Right. We don't know if we change this gene. Ah, shit. It turns out it also did all this or more. If we alter two genes, we don't know what will happen. We know what one gene does and another gene does. But if we say what happens when both of those, it might amplify an effect. It might negate an effect. You don't know until you try it. Which is understandable with how evolution works, just randomness. Yeah, it's com- right. Yeah. Like, it, so I would like, say- oh, crap, we, we modified his arm gene and that gave him red hair. <laughs> so we, you pro- I would say you probably could do it if you had a ton of data, which we don't have a ton of data yet. <laughs> And maybe you could build a comprehensive model. And I did look into it. Researchers have claimed to be able to do this uh, using AI to build a facial model based on someone's sequencing information. But really what it looks like is they were able to plug in your 23andMe test results. And they were like, oh, this person is French. What's the average friend's face? And then, (laughs) then make a PS2 level detail model of the average French person. Which everyone, every French... Which is my face, pretty much. Yeah, every (laughs) French male looks basically somewhat like the average French person. (laughs) So I think we're pretty far from it. And you want to punch them in the face on average as they are French. (laughs) Well, yeah, I don't know if that's their appearance or what. But yes, you do want to punch a Frenchman. It's the cheese. You smell it when you get towards them, and then you just got to punch them. So, yeah, to answer that I'm way, kidding, I'm, French people. We're both French. Yeah, <laughs> but to, part French. But to well, kind of. Finish off we're all say, over Europe. Maybe, but you, we probably need a lot more genomes sequenced, and we've already sequenced 100,000 human genomes. Yeah, and it, it just, well, the way you're talking, it just reminds me of like the AI developer I interviewed for Broken Silicon, where it's like, can we do this thing? Yes. Will we do it anytime soon? I don't know. Probably not. There's probably so many problems we'll run into. It's probably going to be a while. Yeah, exactly. Right? All right. Yoda King writes in, what do you guys think of Deus Ex? The first game and then the entire franchise as a whole. Some of the goods and the bad. So I've never played the very original old school ones, but Mankind Divide, not Mankind Divided. Uh, human Evolution. Human Revolution. Yeah, Human Revolution. So Human Revolution was one of those games we got on a whim where it was something we were kind of watching, like, like you know, oh, that looks like a good game based on trailers. And then I remember it got like crazy good reviews. Yeah. And we just went, oh, we're kind of bored. Let's go get it. And then I loved it. Right. And Mankind Divided, I think it might be a hot take, but I, I think I like that game more than Human Revolution. Um, so but I see, the thing with them. Mankind Divided I, for me is it starts off slower, but it ends so well and it like gets better and better as you keep playing. So, so yeah, I think the overall game is more consistent with, uh, 
human revolution, but mankind divided. Man, those last sections were crazy good. And I like how they didn't overstay their welcome with a bunch of bosses, actually. There was nothing like, oh, there needs to be a boss here. There were really only a handful of bosses at most. Mm -hmm. Really, there was like one secret side boss and then a last boss. I don't think there was much more besides that. And But the boss was like really, really good. And it's so rare now to have a game where there's actually a new boss that's good. Yeah, and, and I really like this stuff. That isn't just a photocopy of some boss from PS2 or something. And I will say, like, the stuff in uh, sci-fi that I that I find attractive a lot of the time is, like, with, like, body modification like they have in Deus Ex. And a lot of why I'm excited about things like cyberpunk. I, I, I think that mm-hmm. idea in sci-fi is really cool. Although I don't know what if I'll get cyberpunk at launch yet. I'm waiting for reviews on that one. Because CD Projekt Red hasn't proven to me why I should buy one of their games. But. Yeah, this is a hot take. I have to come in here and defend you or at least explain what you're saying a little bit because you don't like the Witcher game series. You have not played the last one, which is reviewed decently higher than the others, to be fair. And That's I would say true. the same thing of myself. But Cyberpunk appeals to us way more than their other games, is what we're saying. Yeah, because cy- Cyberpunk, it seems to be a subject that's like, oh, that looks really interesting to me. <laughs> And, oh yeah, Cyberpunk looks fantastic. And yeah, I love the two, the two later Deus Ex games. Those are also great. So if you're thinking of buying it, uh, definitely get it next time. It sounds like a Steam sale. I love the uh, Enlightenment uh, medieval Renaissance like derived clothing they wear yeah, in Deus Ex. It looks it looks awesome. <laughs> this like futuristic Renaissance era Italy looking clothes. It, it, I, I yeah, I, I love those games to answer your question. I, I absolutely love those games. Yeah, me too. All right. Oglock writes him, he's just gotten back from uh clubbing some people in a cave. And Oglock says, where do you, I mean, it sounds like a caveman name. Where do you guys stand on Battlefield 1? The overall art style, visual presentation is second to none, in my opinion. And they put in a lot of work into reworking the overall balance and feel of gameplay. Some of these changes, however, were controversial and had the community divided. Which side of the fence do you consider myself yourself? It's one of my favorite battlefields of all time. I played almost every, well, I've technically played every battlefield, I guess, but I don't really like Hardline that much. I never really gave it a fair chance, though. But yeah, I love Battlefield 1. I mean, I think you're probably going to say the same thing, right? I mean, yeah, I played the shit out of it. Um, I It's probably the one I played the most, actually, in terms of hours. Yeah, there were probably some decisions. Like, the game did feel a bit more arcadey than other Battlefields, but I don't know. I think most of the entries have, into the Battlefield series have been good. I think one of the major problems with Battlefield 1 is the netcode, which I do say, would say is definitely mm. worse, and it's Battlefield 5 has gotten better overall over time, but it, even that started out with shaky net code. Yeah, I don't know why that has to happen every time they release a Battlefield. It's like, and now it doesn't work again. It's like, how does this keep happening, Dice? I, I don't know. <laughs> like, I feel like we've had, I feel like every other company has had lag figured out since, uh, like, the end of the PS3 era. And for some, some of them since PS2, like Halo worked. I, I've never played Halo online, so I can't speak to that. But yeah, I, I don't get it. Yeah, and I mean, SOCOM worked on PS2. The only difference was they allowed you to use a dial-up connection back then sometimes. And so the problem really wasn't that there was lag. There really was no lag. The problem was some people were competing with dial-up connection. (laughs) (laughs) And they were hard to shoot when they zigzagged and teleported around. But uh, yeah, anyways, though, I know we love Battlefield 1. I mean, honestly, I say 4 is my favorite, but I played 1 the most, I think. 
I played the living shit out of three as well. And we've played Battlefield five more than most Battlefields. So we love them. We don't play all of them. Not all of them have we gotten into, but... I mean, I I will say, I think since Bad Company, the only Battlefield game I haven't gotten is Hardline. Hardline, yeah. And 1942, but that's not... And Vietnam, which was really like a secondary thing. Yeah, and 1942, which isn't a full entry into the series, but... Blokes writes him, Dan can't be a fucking idiot if he's not fucking anyone, Tom. Which is, he's pointing out that I called Dan a fucking idiot. Jokingly, of course, but that's a good point, blokes. Whether or not the intel on whether or not Dan is in fact fucking someone at this point in time is indeterminate right now, though. (laughs) (laughs) So I just thought this would be a fun final reader mail. I guess you can't be a fucking idiot unless you're fucking and an idiot. Yeah, I mean, I guess that's true. And I mean, I don't know. I'll be cryptic. Who who knows if I am? Who knows if I'm not? But... (laughs) I mean, I'm pretty sure I know, but you know, not everyone. <laughs> I don't think that's anyone's business. <laughs> so I don't know, Dan. I think that actually does it. You know, I'm pretty exhausted. I got some mushroom wine sauce chicken in the oven that's almost done. Um, I don't know. Do you have any last things you want to say? It's been a year. We answered some goofy questions, some off-subject questions, which you guys are free to ask us. I can't promise we'll answer every reader mail, although I think we answer like 95 percent of them or more. If you guys want to ask anything, you know, we'll we'll answer it if we choose to, you know, and uh, I don't know, Dan, what do you think? A year of a year of Moore's Law is dead, let's say. You're broken silicon. Um, I don't know. I've been uh, I, I mean, I, I think it's been we've done a good job. We've quickly skyrocketed to being one of the better tech podcasts out there. Um, I don't know. I, I, Not to toot our own horn, but I, I think so. Yeah. It uh, was weird when I started, and it's weird now to me that anyone feels like listening to me. But It's never going to stop being weird. If anything, it'll just get weirder until like five years from now we're used to it. <laughs> like, honestly, I don't know how it stops being weird. Yeah, that's true. I mean, I guess what I'll say also initially, I didn't think, I, I, I didn't know if we were, at least me, I was ever going to get to a full year thing. Like, I, I was kind of expecting that I wouldn't, be uh, suitable as the co-host for so i mean i made it a full year and i think at this point the only thing that would make me stop is if life circumstances made it so i was way too busy to be able to do it anymore so yeah or like if like a a mutant raider shot your jaw off that would make it hard yeah if i lost my ability to speak that also would probably make it hard for me to do i'm just trying to help dan by bringing (laughs) up that example (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but yeah, I, I, you know, I think there's no way around it. Just to answer one thing you touched on, Dan, I mean, come on, I, uh, there's no way around it. On average, the Tom and Dan news roundup episodes do better on average. Now, some guest episodes hit it out of the park, like the SSD one, you know, usually when Cortex is on, uh, just as examples, I'm not naming all the ones that have done well, but people like this format and it seems to be working. And, and I agree with you. I wasn't sure how well it would do. You guys got to remember, I started this while I was like, it's like, I don't know. I had no intention of this becoming my job. I was like, if I could just get to 7970 subscribers on YouTube and maybe a thousand listens a a week on a podcast, and then I just make a video every few weeks and a podcast once a month, that would be great. But it's grown into this gigantic thing, at least relative to what we expected. And it surprised me as well is what I'm saying. Yeah. (laughs) Like, yeah, I mean, I remember... uh 
you mentioning how many people that were watching and subscribing to your channel. And I was like, oh, wow, it's actually picking up some steam. And now when I thought, oh, wow, people are actually subscribing, uh, you're now like 50 times bigger than that, which, <laughs> yeah, it's it's a milestone. You're actually uh, it's I didn't think it would get this far. And I especially didn't think it would get this far this fast. Yeah. Well, thanks for doubting me, Dan, you piece of shit. That's what I think. I'm sorry, Tom. But Dan, you're not just doubting me. You're doubting us. I mean, I guess that's kind of true. You're a doubting Dan, which is really a better name alliteration-wise than doubting Thomas. Well, alliteration-wise, it's infinitely better because one has some degree of alliteration and one has none. But I think with that statement... We are getting loopy and it's time to stop. Okay. We we wanted to give you guys some extra conversation, some honest talk just about whatever you wanted. And I think we've done so, you know, there's it's it's the anniversary. Let's do some extra sling some extra tent for the masses. And uh we, we we've enjoyed having you for a year. I don't know what's gonna happen next. Another year would be great. Another well, I don't know. <laughs> we'll see. But remember, we're, we're looking to make this my main job uh, to hire more people if possible. And and all you patrons and anyone who shares our content in the free feeds, all, all, all of you zany hitchhikers make this possible. So <laughs> thank you for, I mean, thank you for listening to us. Honestly, yeah. like that, I don't know what else to say. It sounds so ridiculous, but thanks for listening to our lip smack around. <laughs> hey, and air. You also have to add in the fact that not only are our lips smacking around, but air is going through our vocal cords as well. Shouldn't you be spending less time correcting me and more time recreating George Washington? Um, True. I don't know if I'll ever recreate George Washington, but maybe. Well, I mean, I, I think we could certainly, you know, maybe we couldn't use him right now. I, uh, <laughs> <laughs> I guess I don't know what he would do if we recreated him. All right. All right. All right. That's it. Thank you for listening. This has been one year. There will be another year for sure. And uh, stay safe out there, everybody. Uh, yeah, I hope I was at least okay. Dan is okay. The following podcast was brought to you by the YouTube channel and website, Moore's Law is Dead. Moore's Law is Dead and Broken Silicon are trademarks of their creator, Tom. That guy is me, and I am indeed the creator, editor, writer, and showrunner of Moore's Law is Dead podcast, videos, articles, and other media. However, Moore's Law is Dead is a team with Broken Silicon co-hosted by my brother, Dan, audio editing by Gerard Cortez, and select technical editing by Carbon Cry. You can find all of our information, including how to get a hold of us, at www.moreslawsdead.com. And if you are a fan and would like to send mail or other hardware, please mail parcels to Moore's Laws Dead, P.O. Box 10468, Peoria, Illinois, 61612. And speaking of fans, without exaggeration, the patrons are solely responsible for the continued distribution of the content you just listened to. And so if you have some extra money, but only if you do, please consider supporting us. For just $2 a month, you get access to the exclusive podcast, Die Shrink, voting on subjects of future podcast episodes, the ability to have your questions read aloud on Broken Silicon, Die Shrink, and Loose Ends, and of course, the Moore's Law is Dead Discord, full of like-minded people who would love to meet you. I am one of them. The Discord is only at $1, and at higher tiers, you get access to ad-free episodes of Broken Silicon, the back catalog of Flyover States podcast, 
thanks in the credits of videos and podcasts and other perks as well. And if you cannot afford to support us, please just share Moore's Law's Dead videos and podcasts with friends and family on social media and Reddit. And give Broken Silicon and Flyover States a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. All of this really does help so much more than I think anyone realizes. If you'd like to advertise on the podcast or a person of interest who would like to be a guest, please reach out to the email address mlhbdead at gmail.com. But as I said, this podcast would not be possible without its fans supporting it. And so now it is time to give a personal thanks to the greatest of the fans. The following supporters are at the 10 gigahertz or higher producer levels. Bootman, Carbon Cry, Dean, Benny Berlin, Justin Yant, Thomas Rupp, I Love You, Lynn and Jim, Bollocks, Jordan Betcher, Muhammad Al-Kawari, Frederick Lau, James Crasta, Justin Parrish, Zachary Martin, Terrence Aaron, Brad Medlin, Phil S., Thyrister, The Ninth Dude, Greg Renegar, John Bible, Chrysantine, Night Rogue 77, The Mechanical Philosopher, Lebo Kinkilo, Fatboy Diesel, Daniel Hyde, Matthew McMullen, Christoph Novak, Neil X01, Matt Salem, Aaron Close, Sexy, VI Pass, Sadler Sadler, Richter Gohagan, Alethros, Telos, Kaden Pictel, Greg T. Wanchuk, Jacob Barber, Exoti, Wendy Kierbear, Matthew Lane, Paul Jones, Jan Rounder, Rubber Ducks, Edward Huff, Allie Robertson, Hardforum.com, Jonathan, Drita Full, Evan Dingle, Nick Neasy, Dominic Deward, Harrow P. Bureau, Wayne, Sam MacArthur, Total Silo, TSPCFS, Michael Costum, Andrew S., Blake, Aaron Keith, AJ Klein, Endless Loggins, Hector Santana, Justin B- Brannon, Archon971, Trevor Powers, Garrick Scholl, Elinia, Joshua Stavness, Daniel Nishball, Job, Hardware Numbers, and Alex Carastillo. And of course, thank you to Sahara for the music. <laughs>